Welcome to the Ludagogi Podcast, your monthly game space learning earworm. I'm Sarah. And I'm Antonis. And today we have with us Ata Sergei Novak. Ata has a deep passion for gaming, history, space exploration, and intercultural communication. Since his first game modding experience with Paradox Games in 2012, Ata has contributed to several influential titles such as Hearts of Iron 3, The Finest Iron, East vs. West, Squad, Terminal Conflict, and distinguished modes like Black Eyes and Project Reality. Since 2017, he has focused on the creation of Suzerain, an award-winning narrative role-playing video game about politics, and has been leading Torpor Games, an indie video game company based in Berlin, that is behind Suzerain, and soon The Conformist, which is set in the same universe. Welcome, Ata. Hello, thanks for having me. Yeah, that was a great intro. <laughs> uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here and talk about a bit about our process. Um, yeah, how should we start it? Well, the way we usually start is we ask our guests to say a fun fact about themselves. So do you have one to share? I do, actually. Uh, um, a fun fact about me is that I was uh, basically raised trilingually from the start. So even as like a little kid, I could speak uh, English, German and Turkish, uh, which is quite a uh, good thing to have, actually, because you don't even have to go through the learning process. It just happens naturally. So, yeah, that is a fun fact about me. Cool. And you grew up in Turkey? Yes, I did. Um, I grew up in Izmir, like a city in Western Turkey. That's quite like... Uh, Aegean and coastal and you know we get that Mediterranean culture going there as a Greek I feel you <laughs> that that sounds uh, that uh, sounds very inspiring um is that is any of that of your background or uh, a, sort of an inspiration for your games or if not do you have a specific process to to get inspired to get ideas for games um I mean the Geography does affect everyone. You know, it's like a human experience. The area that you live in, the people that you live with, um, it has a high impact in like, you know, who you are and like what your value system is and, and what you create. So definitely the environment that did have a, an influence. Uh, for me specifically, what's interesting was that um, I was like in between um, this German culture and this Turkish culture. And I could like understand these different aspects uh, of them. Uh, regarding the process behind uh, getting ideas for games, I think primarily it's the topics that I was really interested in, like societal topics, political topics, psychological topics and such. So there was like a lot of uh, passion behind getting uh, these subjects into the games. Yeah, I guess the politics of Starkey might have played a role <laughs> in coming up with a game on politics that... Uh... Uh, somehow has to do with managing an authoritarian government. I don't know. <laughs> Did you see any any effect? Um, yeah. So the geography definitely had some impact. And, you know, Turkey has been going through quite a transformation. Um, but what we've noticed as, as our team and like all together after all these discussions about what to create was that uh, this problem isn't specifically... Uh, focus around this one area in the world or the other. It's actually a human experience. It's a human thing. Politics and power and that psychology is like much uh, more of a human historical experience that's been happening throughout. So um, we were particularly interested in like how the circumstances and the situations shape our decisions and who we are. And that was like one of the uh, points of view that uh, that shaped how we approached uh, Suzerain. 
Yeah, I can definitely see that sort of that that universality of of all of the things that underlie politics. It's like it's, I suppose that's why Game of Thrones works, even though it was all based on the politics of the War of the Roses. It's because we we just keep doing the same things. That history keeps repeating itself. Yeah, definitely. I mean, about that aspect specifically, um, a lot of the mistakes in history keep happening because we forget about the learnings. And games and education and all these other things like art can help us break the cycle and actually improve society in the longer term in a very, very, very subtle way, not like a forced way, but like a natural way. And I think that's kind of an interesting thing to um, think about and understand that the potential of these mediums can have long lasting positive impact. Play it before you live it. One of the biggest interests in game design has to do with how you transform uh, real-life cultural elements and learning points into game mechanics. So is that something that um, you implemented in Suzerain and how? Yeah, definitely. That's one of the things we looked at. Um, so like, for example, changing the constitution in Suzerain is part of the gameplay. And it sounds very weird because it's part story, part mechanic. Um, and the mechanics of it is like very choice-based but the ripple effects of them can have different effects, which you know could change, for example, based on which sections of the constitution you change, your support group's uh, power changes, which then changes the assembly vote. So you might not even pass the thing. So it starts becoming like, uh, okay, I can do this, but what do I else do I need to do to push this through to make that change? And, you know, we've tied a lot of the things to like stuff like the economy or like personal wealth. And even like there's bribery in the game. Um, to represent those systems as well, but also connect them to different political subjects. For example, the economy is a big subject in our game, and we have hundreds of different economy additions and sub subtractions. Um, and I think that type of gameplay, like turning a real economic system, but simplifying it, of course, uh, putting it behind choice and seeing how combinations can change uh, the different outcomes. I think that's um, that's a thing that we've kind of used to take a real time system and uh, put it in the game. Um, beyond that, also we try to understand how like uh, politics can be gamified. Um, basically, the whole process of gathering power inside of a power structure, like a party, a political party with different views, and how through choices we can shape that and shape the country through that. And was the choice of a narrative type um, for Suzerain, was it was it the conscious choice that helps or um, has an advantage on on translating these uh, learnings into mechanics? I think definitely that was like one of the things we really wanted to have is that l making sure that the story is told through like a human experience of dialogue and narrative because stuff like um, very gray areas of politics are hard to display through mechanics. And as soon as you turn certain things like to mechanics, like for example, let's say if authority in a country's laws would be a pure like numerical, numerical uh, value, um, it really destroys the gray areas and it makes it very inhumane. It just makes it a number. Uh, that doesn't mean that there isn't value in having numbers and systems, but having the narrative at the center, keeping it very human, but adding these values and numbers to make that uh, narrative stronger, more nuanced and more complicated systematically, 
is the approach that we've taken. Uh, and I wouldn't have done it other way. Like I wouldn't have done uh, simulation first and then the human experience, because that is essentially what most of the country management and political games already provide. Uh, what we provide is basically the story aspect that combines those things together in a, in a meaningful way. It's really interesting that you talk about um, creating economic mechanics. Um, um, it's something that I've really been very, very interested in. I've written quite a few articles about it for Ludogorky. Um It's notoriously, um, I think, uh, quite complex to create really good balanced game economies. Um, so the next question I was going to ask, um, has that been part of the sort of biggest challenge of, of your game's design? Or if you find creating economic systems easier, what has been the biggest challenge that you've overcome in, in games design? Um, specifically about the economy, it's really complicated to put down an entire economic system into these like simplified numbers and values and make it like work with a story. Um, but we had to make some sacrifices and we had to like um, cut some corners. And this also is the same for our narrative as well. Like real politics is like much more complicated. There's much more paperwork. It takes longer. It's more boring. It's cannot be condensed to like a 10 hour experience. Like we turned four years of a presidency, like an explosive presidency down to like 10 hour gameplay, um, which is of course not realistic. Um, but the simplification doesn't mean it loses the value of it, of what it represents. For example, like we have different structures, planned, market, and mixed economy. And we decided we want to represent this in our game because not only did it touch like different ideological meters like uh, democratic leaning or millennialist le leaning, which is our version of communism. It's a bit different. Um, and, or capitalism and other things. Uh, but also because... Uh, certain characters around you in the game in the cabinet have different ideologies and they support different systems and it uh, allowed us to explore these gray areas um but by simplifying of course uh we sadly couldn't get into the details of like i don't know like if it's a you know debt uh, pull inflation or what type of like uh, budgetary situation in detail is happening in the country because we simplified the numbers down to one two and three uh, which is like three being a big number, one being a lower number of an investment, for example. And at that level, of course, you can't go really, really deep, but you can go deep enough to make a varied story. And I think that simplification was helpful. And we also, regarding the mixed economy, for example, um, what we've done is we started tracking uh, what type of a range the player has based on all the choices they've made regarding the economics. Um, and if it's in between that range, right in the middle, it's roughly like Sozial Marktwirtschaft, like the German uh, social market economy you know, that we kind of envision in that space. And we tag the player as having achieved that. And players try to get to that because at the start of the game, actually, uh, the country is right somewhere in the middle. And you have the choice to either take it to a planned economy or a market one. But it's actually possible to land in the middle at the end of the game, too. So those are some of the things that uh, we experience regarding the economy. But the economy is only one part of the game. It's uh, one of the pillars. So the biggest challenge, I would say, is to take these massive, complicated issues um, and simplify them, but also provide enough choice that you have uh, freedom of choice as a player, that you can express yourself, express yourself and make sure that the experience is tailored to you. Um, and this was quite difficult because how do you gamify and add choices to these political notions and, and, and ideologies and decisions? And what are the repercussions of those choices? Like, how do they 
stick with you throughout the game experience. I think those were the really big challenges because we essentially took something really dry, like, you know, what is like a constitutional reform and how do you turn that into an interesting storyline? Um, how, how, how is that, you know, done? Um, and those were like really, really difficult and took like years to properly uh, refine. So I guess you've got the challenge of uh, when you've got something uh, pretty complex like politics, and in this case, constitutional reform, that first of all, you've got to go through making that simple enough that it's playable. And then you've got to go through recomplexifying it to make it interesting enough that it's going to be engaging, I guess, to a certain extent. Yeah, I mean, I can answer that. Um, definitely. One thing I want to add there is that the game experience is actually quite simple and we wanted to make it low barrier of entry on purpose. That's why it's dialogue based and it's basically clicking. And we never wanted to go too deep on the mechanics uh, on the logic side of things. Um, this is also to make sure a lot of people can easily enter the experience and understand politics and see from the inside. Um, if it made a really ultra complicated game, it would be much more niche than it is now. And it already is an issue, of course. Um, and the other point I want to add to that is that every subject that we wanted to include in the game, and we did, we did a lot of research about it and we put it in the game universe in a realistic way, which means that, for example, you're not doing constitutional reform out of the blue. It's this country is troubled with its legal system and its past constitution. It's been a part of the debate and people demand a change. People demand big reforms. So that is why you're led to that storyline and you don't even have to follow it. You can actually declare an emergency and not do a reform and it, say that the country is being attacked by the superpowers and that you need to, you know, defend the nation and all that stuff. And also, it doesn't mean good reform either. You can have reform that strengthens you and you already have a lot of power as an executive president. So um, there's there are a lot of ways of uh, tackling the subject and, you know, we let the player have those options and explore the story as it progresses. Let's take a step aside from Suzerain. Other, other games from other designers that you really enjoy playing and you're inspired by? I mean, definitely um, Paradox Games, specifically uh, Crusader Kings 3. Um, I think like Crusader Kings is a brilliant game. Uh, it's a game that combines simulation with storytelling in a very, very interesting way. Um, the fact that it simulates 45,000 NPCs and with their own traits and ambitions and uh, domains in the medieval era uh, is just fascinating. And... You know, you go in there and yes, it is, of course, not as deep of a constructed narrative, but it allows you so much information and an RPG mechanics and, and expression that allows you to kind of craft the stories in your mind just by playing through the experience. And I think they've done something magical um, with that title, uh, even though I really got into the games industry through Hearts of Iron 3 and modding uh, for that. Um it, it really feels like Crusader Kings is like a very, very special game to me. So um, do you have any particular games designers that, uh, that you sort of uh, like their work? Uh, we're always looking for good recommendations for new guests. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I have a lot of contacts, actually. Um, I have some contacts from uh, Obsidian Entertainment, um, the old you know, RPG creators like uh, Baldur's Gate and Fallout and stuff. Um, and I've actually had two uh, of my own panels and podcasts with them. So um, I, have, I have their contacts and everything. Um, definitely really good people. Um, and it's interesting because uh, game design is changing as well quite a bit. 
um, the old game designers, they come from an era where, you know, the industry was in a different place. I feel like the new gen game designers are really experimental. They're using like, th- they're trying to push the boundaries and they're trying to really use different systems together that, you know, in the previous decades, those genres would never combine or those systems would never combine. But I'm seeing a lot more experimentation happening, a lot more like uh, diving deeper into the mechanics and systems and seeing if there are unique combinations to make. Yeah. Can you give us some examples of the those kinds of games that you're they're talking about? Yeah, definitely. Um, so most of the indie games that we're seeing right now, um, specifically, there is like this me- medieval indie game that was uh, coming out. The name escapes me right now. <laughs> it's just funny. Um, but it's a game that basically takes medieval city building simulation, but it allows you to experience the entire map. And you can actually go down to first person level and see how people live. And it's a simulation of not just that town. It's also multiple towns coming together and actually creating like an economic system and a realm management of sorts. So this is not the only game. There's like a lot of games now that are like pushing the boundaries of like what is expected of a game. And I think uh, this is where the industry is heading because at first there were like, you know, a few hundred titles that defined the industry. Now, like we're getting to more and more and more games and standing out is of course, by not doing what was happening all the time, but it's by doing something new and fresh. So we're seeing this like, okay, combinations or different like um, expressions of mechanics. And I think like, you know, Crusader Kings 3 is also a bit of that. Um, even though it's much a much older series, it has a, a first game, a second game and stuff. But it is really successful because it brings role-playing into, into strategy and has narrative storytelling and has a simulation. Like it's, it's kind of like a fascinating combination of a lot of things that makes it magical and it somehow works within the concept. Uh, I really enjoy this fusion of different mechanics and styles in, in all forms of art as well as in games. Um, but it also sounds quite challenging. Like if you're a new game designer and you want to break into the business, isn't it even more challenging than it, than it was, I don't know, in the early days? Um, I'm not so sure because, yes, like it's easy to get into the industry. It is harder to stand out. But if there's passion, I think it is possible. Like a lot of the game design we do, for example, it's very connected to narrative design. Yeah, we have mechanics, but they're narrative supplements. Um, so our approach is much more on a s- experimental story approach, experimental narrative approach is like seeing avenues and seeing potentials that you know are not pushed enough in the industry and we're going that way. Um, regarding like more uh, mechanics-based logical games, uh, I think... It gets difficult, especially, you know, when you look at the larger city simulation games, which are like basically more advanced than the um, the old versions. And they're becoming even more and more advanced. But there is also like a limit to what you can do with systems based design, too. So you need to really bring new like uh, themes or settings or, or new mechanics into a game. And it's not easy to come up with those. Um Specifically, you know, stuff like uh, MMO games and like larger online games now, um, they've always wanted to go more sandbox um, because the theme park MMOs, um, you know, they're still there. They're very powerful and everything. But a lot of players just want uh, autonomy and control in their experiences. Um, But not a lot of people still uh, can manage that, designing that type of an experience because 
it's really hard to have players this much control in a player universe. And what type of mechanics are you creating where they don't run off and go crazy, you know? So yeah, it's, it's not easy um, to come up with things that work that are fresh, but it's easier to get into the industry and there is more information than ever, I feel. And I suppose to a certain extent that that experimental sort of aspect of it makes it easier to get started because um, it sort of opens up potentially to ideas and, and ways of thinking that weren't there before. So maybe opening up the field to, to people who wouldn't traditionally have got involved in game games design. I, I definitely agree with this. So one of the things I've I've been seeing is that traditional uh, game designers and other like developers, of course, um, have actually really been happy with the inclusion of other people outside of the industry coming into the games industry because uh, they just bring their own new nuance, their own new perspective, and it allows the industry to stay, stay fresh and change its own notions and aspects. You know, in our company, we specifically, you know, one of our writers is actually not a game writer. Um, and, and this is something that was very interesting. When we opened our writing uh, job positions, we had a lot of uh, games writers apply. And we have a testing process and we, you know, we wet our people, we interview, we have a lot of chats. But specifically about the tests, um, we test in a way that is, of course, applicable to our game content. Um, a lot of the traditional game writers were actually coming from larger studios where the narrative is uh, very linear and singular. Um, and they had actually failed at our tests. And the only ones that actually succeeded were from the theater or, you know, newspaper journalism writing. Um, so they were non-games people and we were started working with them. Yeah, it's actually impressive. Uh, to make it more explicit, though, um, our audience basically varies from aspiring game designers to experienced game designers to people in learning and um many other fields. So if somebody wants to become a game designer now, what is your advice to them? Um, I think the best advice is figure out what you're passionate about um, and then really look at other games that are close to that passion or like look at other things that are close to your passion that you probably will also like. And then think of how you can stand out with your passion. Um, it's about like... It's about getting the energy from your own passion, understanding the marketplace and seeing how you can put out something different. And I think that energy, even if you don't have the ability to create it, will keep you on that experimental creative level where you have an idea, where you want to talk to people about it and you'll get feedback and that idea will improve. Or you'll be like, yeah, maybe it's not a good idea. But I think having that ability, having that perspective as, a, as an aspiring person is really helpful. Because what can you contribute? What is your value that you're bringing there from a creative aspect, of course? Um, that is really, really key. Uh, prototype a lot. You know, after going through that process, I think prototyping, um, figuring out where the, where the avenues of change and experimentation are, fail a lot. Um, I think having a lot of dumb ideas is good. As, as, as long as you can recognize their dumb ideas. Um, and it's okay. It's part of the process, you know. Um, throughout the journey, we all make uh, wrong guesses and all this stuff. It's about the journey. It's not about the result. So going through trying and failing and trying and failing and slowly advancing across the journey, I think, is the best way of doing things. At least it's how it's worked for me, you know. 
So, Anthony has just talked a little bit about about the audience for for Ludagogi. Uh, one of the sort of mission, I guess, of Ludagogi is to to raise the profile of games based learning. So, sort of going full circle to to what you were talking about at the beginning about the ability of games to teach us um, things. In this case, about um, you know the lessons we should learn from from politics in the past. Um, so, a final question is: what what is a lesson that you've learned from designing games that you could that could be applied outside of games? in another area of life. I think the lesson is like, how do we transform certain existing values and notions into a new thing while incorporating elements of them and without losing what you want to talk about or what we want to experience, what type of experience you want to create. Um, I think there is endless possibility. Um, What I've started to notice is that we can use these things to create empathy or thought or make people have a certain perspective about anything. Um, These are very powerful tools. Um, And I think education and companies and institutions and governments and everyone can utilize these tools to just advance as as their personal beings. You know, like I grew up with games since 99. I've played probably thousands of games. And each game helped me become someone else. And each game slowly changed me. And it doesn't have to be like a positive or negative change, or it doesn't have to be, you know, towards a direction or something. It's just the experience. And I think the this is the beauty of this is that, you know, we only have one life and we can't jump in from someone's shoes to the other person's shoe. You can, of course, you know, work in different jobs, get to different environments and stuff. But you essentially have one life um, from what I, what we know, of course. Um, if you're spiritual, I'm not going to go into that. Of course, that's your own thing. Um, but uh, from my perspective, at least, um, how do I understand someone where I don't have the energy or resources or time to be in that person's shoe? And how can I gain empathy in a safe environment and become a more compassionate human being? Um, how can I understand difficulties of others in a more intimate way? And I think these experiences can provide that. It can make us think about problems that really could be damaging society or things that would help society. Um, of course, you can also debate what is helping society and this all and all that. But I think overall, um, instead of just having media that we consume to entertain ourselves, which is also great, you know, we also need to blow off some steam or something. Um, It's good to just, okay, there is this topic. I can experience it. I can understand the different perspectives in it. Now I am just a more knowledgeable human about it. And it's not just that I've read a few, you know, um, pages of text. I was in those shoes in a simulated way. And I think there's a lot of value in that uh, human experience through these. Well, I don't think I've heard a better manifesto for games-based learning in a long time, actually. That's really but just about sums it all up, doesn't it, Antonis? Oh, it perfectly does. And it can get even better. So wait for this. Uh, we had lunch earlier, and uh, you shared a very touching story that uh, happened in real life. I'd like you to share it here because it really ties in perfectly. Yeah, actually, this is uh, one of the many letters we've received. But this particularly stood out to me because it was so touching on a human level. Um, So, you know, in our game, we have a minority rights storyline. And it's about the struggle of this minority in this country that you end up ruling. 
And your power base actually, for the longest of time, has not given this minority their fair share of equality and the respect they deserve. But it's due to political circumstances of the country. And we know this from, you know, real world, how these things happen and why they happen. There's a reason why the world is not, you know, a utopia. And, you know, we try to reflect that. And in the game, this storyline is like a very difficult storyline. As in to make positive change, you make a lot of uh, moral or political sacrifices. So one of the players from uh, Turkey reached out. Um, They wrote an amazingly long and beautifully emotional letter about um, their game experience, how they were the ruler, and they were a a player of Kurdish descent. Um, And I think they they were Kurdish. Um, And they've experienced and they've talked about what they've lived through in Turkey and the negative experiences they've had. Um, And I can also confirm this, you know, I've lived in Turkey a long time and looking back, there were a lot of these little things and that, of course, maybe it was a bit less in the Western part of Turkey, um, but it was there. Um, You could tell these societal frictions and how people behave around certain people or the things they say. And I can personally say, you know, I've, I've noticed it much more on a deeper level when I grew up and became an adult, but growing up, you don't really understand th- certain what well, th- certain things mean. But whenever I read this person's letter and they explained this non-acceptance of society, where that society, that the, the one they live in, where they want to feel at peace at home, they, where they want to be free and express themselves as a human being, doesn't really fully accept them. And in the game, they wanted to make peace between the minority and, and the country. And they worked really hard and they sacrificed a lot of things and they lost their morality throughout the process at, at some points. But there was this one scene in the game after you uh, pass different laws that make the whole um, judicial situation more equal and the human rights more equal for the minority. You can lead the minority leader at this commemoration um, moment. And if you've actually solved a lot of the issues... You can hug the minority leader as a sign of unifying the country. And the letter this person wrote was that they fought so hard, you know, and they've gotten to that point in the story. And when they, when the two characters hugged, like the president and the, the minority leader in the game, that they've broken down, that they've started crying. And then they said that the only thing that they really wanted was this embrace, this mutual respect, this understanding of one another. And they just wanted to live in peace. They were happy that they've achieved this in the game, but they ended up losing the election and they ended up like actually having like one of the like more negative endings. And it was just very emotional to read. And the way they came out of it was, was also very interesting. Um, this person then says, you know, I always wanted to become a politician to fix these issues, to, be, to, you know, to do the right thing. But I've noticed that, you know, through that process, power will corrupt me. So maybe I'm happy with what I'm doing right now, which is becoming a doctor and helping everyone equally and not having a political um, kind of agenda in that way, at least, um, and not being corrupted. And I think that was like a quite humane and deeply arts, emotion, values, like everything, like combining to this amazing thing. And very touching. Like it was one of the most emotional things I've read in my life, I would say. Steph, must have made you feel very proud that you 
been part of creating that experience for somebody? Yeah, it was, um, you know, I was very proud that they understood what we tried to do because they saw the difficulties of the game as a reflection of real life difficulties. And this is like a designer perspective element. Um, when we make reform difficult in the game or any other path, it's not because we don't want reform. Like, you know, we want to, of course, make every everything better. We should live in better societies. I think like, you know, we're a team of very compassionate people, but the reality just doesn't work that way. And it's a lot of struggle. It's a lot of fight to, to make a better world or like, you know, do the right thing. And it's easy to, uh, from afar, you know, say if you would do this and you would do that. But in those shoes, the reality is very different. And this person understood that 100%. And they understood it in a context where they still live the implications of that world, which made me really happy because, you know, when we were making it, we were worried, like, are we just too deep in the art? Like, will people see through what we're trying to do here? And I'm super happy that, you know, we have 94% uh, 94% positive reviews on Steam. People get it. Um, so that's fascinating for me. Yeah. Perfect ending. So if people want to learn more about Ata, Torpor Games, Suzerain, where should they go? I mean, you can find us online, just uh, Google Torpor Games. Uh, we have our website. Everything is there. We have a universe wiki where you can just check our different countries, ideologies, um, different political parties and characters. Um, yeah, we have two games. Uh, one is a work in progress. One is released. The release one is Suzerain. Uh, we're building like DLCs of different country experiences in it. And right now we're building a monarchy experience called Rizia. And um, for the new game, which, which is The Conformist, it's an, a more role-playing game with more simulation systems. And it shows the story of changing the society from the bottom up, which is like uh, joining a grassroots movement, trying to change the first multi-party elections of Swordland in the 30s, 20 years before Suzerain. Excellent. Well, Perfect. thank you very much for coming along. That's been an absolutely fascinating conversation. And... Uh, Yes, I'm I'm looking forward to playing Suzerain, which I haven't played. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. And I think, you know, um, these uh, decades will be, I think, heavily defined by games and education and learning transforming. I think, you know, in these recent times, we will see massive educational changes. And I think I'm already seeing some of it. Um, and I think there's high value to this podcast and everybody else out there who thinks that, you know, there's a better way to teach, there's a better way to learn. Um, and, you know, interactive experiences and games are very powerful tools of influence. Um, it's amazing to be, you know, here among uh, similar minded, talented people. Thanks for doing the podcast and having me. This has been the Ludogorgi podcast. Game, Game over. over.